Welcome to Mint, the podcast equipping you to run the race of faith well. On this show, you can trust that we'll dive deep into God's Word and discuss practical ways to live out its truth. It's not easy to be a follower of Jesus today, so let's be salt and light together. I love hearing from you, so send me a message with any questions, feedback, or victory stories you might have from the podcast. In addition, in the show notes, you'll find a link to my website, which has bonus content, free resources, mint merchandise, and gives you an opportunity to sponsor the show. We're listener funded, and we're so grateful for those of you who partner with us in the mission. Let's go run the race, friends. Well, welcome to the show. I'm so excited that you're here with me as we take the next few minutes to dive deep into God's Word and discuss practical ways that we can walk it out. I'm really excited because we're going to do just a two-part series called Flourish, where we're going to talk about what does it look like to flourish in the midst of some of the most desert hard seasons of life, because flourishing is possible no matter what is going on in your life today. So that's the encouragement that I want to start with, that no matter what's happening in your life today, whether everything's going well or it's going badly, whether you've got something that's really bringing you down or or things seem to be trending in the right direction, it is possible to flourish in the courts of our God. And we're going to just take two episodes of this season of the Mint Podcast to talk about how can we flourish. And it's a two-part series. So today we're going to talk about getting our roots into living water. And to the next show, we're going to talk about how to root out those nasty weeds that threaten to steal, kill, and destroy our abundant life. So let's pray and dive in together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are. I just invite you into this space for the next minutes. Will you please give us eyes to see you, ears that can hear you, and hearts that are courageous enough to follow you. Lord, please speak to us and show us things we do not know in order that we might draw close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that this word flourish actually came to me in about January, and I had been asked to speak at a woman's event, and they were kicking around this idea of flourishing. And when I heard that word, my first reaction was like, you got the wrong girl, because my life has never felt so much further away from flourishing as it does right now. And I I don't feel like any aspect of my life is really flourishing if you're talking about it in the sense of that it's all going well. You know, when somebody says, oh, they're just flourishing, I think about that person and I think, oh, their life must be awesome. They are living their best life. They have a good job. They have a nice house, a nice car, and good relationships, and they have great clothes. You know, their whole life looks like it's been through an Instagram filter, right? Everything is going amazing. And it's so easy, especially in today's day and age, to look at other people on social media and think, oh, they're flourishing. Everything in their life is awesome. And then we fall prey to the pity party of, I'm not flourishing. My life isn't going awesome. Because the things in our life can be difficult and we can struggle and we go through different seasons, right? So sometimes you walk through a season where everything's pretty much okay, but there's one or two things wrong. Well, this spring, and I've been pretty open with you as my audience, I feel like everything has been difficult and hard, you know, and as much as I love my fixer-upper, there are days I'm ready to burn it to the ground and it has been so hard living in a fixer-upper. 
and we are way over budget. And now interest rates are going up and it's hard to get loans because Ben just switched jobs. And so we're stuck in this house that we can't finish. And it's been a year and a half and I still don't have a kitchen. Fix it, Jesus, you know, but it's hard to live in a fixer upper. And, and I have four kids whom I love very much, but kids are stressful. And I have two adult kids who I love so much and they're trying to chase Jesus, but adult kids are hard too. And if you have children between the ages of 18 and like 23, you're sitting at home listening going, amen, because it's funny because kids that are in that age, they're a hundred percent certain you don't know anything, but they still want your money. So it's just an interesting season to navigate, but their problems can be big and have great implications. And I have a mama bear heart for my kids. And so when they're struggling, when they're in hard seasons, my mama bear heart hurts. And I carry that stress because I love them so much. You know, and my littles, they tire me out, but their problems can usually be fixed with a Band-Aid or a Popsicle, right? Most of their problems are easily solved. And so it's the harder, the bigger, the more difficult, complicated issues that keep me up at night. And we've just been in a season of that. And I'm proud of my big kids for how they're chasing the Lord, but that doesn't mean that it has been an easy season. And then ministry stuff's been going great, but all of a sudden it's like more than I can do in a day. So I'm finding myself not sleeping, trying to juggle, dropping some balls, having too much up in the air, just constantly running on adrenaline because I'm so stressed out because things are just growing. Doors are opening and that's good. But finding myself needing to cut back and needing to bring some organization to the chaos and needing to figure out how to steward all that I have on my plate. And then my health crashed. And I've been really honest with you guys about that. And as I've been trying to navigate this crash, this flare that my body's in, it has been really difficult. And I'm about five months in and I've lost 20 pounds. And I just started with a new doctor who has hope that he can help me. And I'm so thankful for him, Dr. Troy, down in Egan, Minnesota. I'm so thankful for him. He's a Christian doctor, chiropractor, and and he is so rooted in scripture and all of what he does to help his patients is rooted in his faith. I I love him. But anyway, it's an honor to be at his clinic and I have hope, but it's been a hard journey. And so the emotional bottoming out has actually been harder than anything uh, physical that I've encountered. And I shared with you guys in my last series, if you haven't listened to the last series with the shepherd, I lay it out for you what I've been walking through, but I have some unresolved pain and trauma in my past that I've been working through. And so friends, I have been in this season where it's like, flourish. Lord, that's your word for me. You got the wrong girl because nothing in my life is flourishing. I don't feel good. I don't look good. Nothing's going good. And I have just been so daunted by this word, but the Lord just really quietly said to me in February, I meant to know this word is for you because with me, it is possible to flourish in any season of your life. And that brings me to tears because I remember that morning when I was doing devotional time with the Lord, I remember it so clearly how he said, no, Minta, this message is for you. It is possible to flourish when your circumstances aren't going well. And, and I want to show you into what it is. And so he brought me to this passage and he had me study it. And then he unfolded this kind of two-part 
approach to flourishing that I want to share with you. And the scripture that he brought me to is Psalm 92, verses 12 through 14. Psalm 92, verses 12 through 14. I'll read it for you. But the godly will flourish. There's our word. The godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon, for they are transplanted into the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. And I love that verse for two reasons. And the first one is it shows us the secret to flourishing. And in verse 13, for they are transplanted into the Lord's own house. It matters where our hearts are planted. See, the flourishing lies in the roots of our hearts. What are we putting our hope and our faith and our belief into? If we are putting our roots down deep into the Lord, then it is possible to flourish. And then that fruit or that definition of what it means to flourish is not that everything in our life is going to go well. Instead, in verse 14, it says they'll still produce fruit and remain vital and green. So friends, it's possible to flourish in any season of our life, no matter what's going on, because it's not the promise that it's going to magically get better. It's the promise that in the midst of the difficulty, if our roots grow down deep into the Lord, then he will provide what we need to produce fruit. It is possible to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, and to exhibit those and to manifest those fruits in the middle of the darkest storms or in the middle of the driest deserts because our roots grow down deep into the Lord. And so we are going to focus in on that this morning. And if you could, with me, close your eyes, unless you're driving while you listen, then please keep your eyes wide open. But I want you to picture a tree, a beautiful, majestic tree. And it has all of these lush green leaves at the top. It's a big stick, thick, sturdy trunk. And you are that tree. That's what I want you to picture. You are that tree and and the trunk is who you are and all the roles you get to play, who God made you to be. And then the beautiful lush greenery at the top, that is the fruit of your life. The people that you love, the good works God has you do, the fruit that you are producing. And then I want you to just look at this tree and I want you to imagine the roots of the tree. And I want you to imagine that these roots are growing downward and it's a network, right? A network of roots growing down deep and deep into the soil, they find this crystal blue water. I want you to picture that. That is the picture I want you to keep in your mind as we now dive into this idea of growing our roots deep into the Lord. And he brought me to a story about this in John chapter four. And you know, I love the book of John. And he brought me to this story and he had me study it and he showed me things that I haven't seen before about it that relate to flourishing because it matters where our roots grow down deep. You know, a little bit ago I talked about the circumstances in my life were bad, so I felt like it was impossible to flourish. Well, that's because I was putting my roots down into my circumstances, And so then my flourishing was dependent on my circumstances. So I'm riding this roller coaster that's going in the wrong direction, only down. 
because circumstances are temporary. They're fickle and they're fleeting. If we put our roots down deep into the circumstances of our life, if they go down deep into our money, if they go down into our possessions, if they go down into our jobs, if they go down into our health, if we put it into the house that we live in or our neighborhood or our friends, if our circumstances are what is feeding us, so to speak, then we are not going to flourish. Circumstantial trust or belief is not going to lead to the abundant life that God wants for you. And so what we have to do instead is a little heart check and make sure that the roots of our heart are growing down deep into God into belief, into his soil, into who he is, because he is good and he is unchanging and he is stable and he provides all that we need to flourish no matter what's going on around us. So we're going to read the story in John chapter four. And I know that we just have different levels of comfortability with the Bible. Everybody spent a different amount of time reading it or not reading it, and that's okay. I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page. So I want to set up the story a little bit. And this is the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And maybe you've heard this story before, maybe not. But this story is so significant to me for three reasons. And it takes place towards the beginning of Jesus's ministry. And he's, you know, just turned into his 30s and he's traveling with his disciples and they're going around and they are preaching the good news and they're teaching about the kingdom of God and he is healing the sick and they are doing all kinds of amazing work and they come to the village of Samaria. And this is where our story takes place. And again, it's significant for three reasons. Jews and Jesus was a Jew and his disciples Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. They did not like each other. There was no love lost between them. Jews called Samaritans half-breeds. They hated them. If they came into contact with them, they were considered unclean. They avoided them at all costs. In fact, when Jews were traveling, instead of walking through Samaria, it was said that they would walk extra miles in the hot desert sun around Samaria so that they wouldn't run into the Samaritans. And so there's no love lost between these people. But the first thing I want to notice about this story is that Jesus goes right into the Samaritan well and he sits down to wait for this lady. So he's breaking all kinds of cultural norms by doing this. To a Jew, this woman would not have been worth his time, but this woman was worth Jesus' time. The second thing that's unique about this story is that Jesus was a religious leader, and he was a man, and this woman was a Samaritan, and she was a woman. Like, meant a way to state the obvious, right? But men in that culture, and especially religious leaders, did not speak to women. It was not allowed. They didn't do it. Women were not invited into religious conversations back in those days. Women weren't educated. They weren't given the religious training. And so they were not invited into those spaces. And so another cultural norm that Jesus broke is that he has a religious conversation with a woman. So here's this woman that no other Jew would have considered worth a conversation or worthy. And Jesus says, I'm coming here specifically for you to talk to you. The third thing about this story that we're going to see that is so interesting is it takes place in the middle of the day. Now, why is that a big deal? Because they're meeting at a well and it's hot and they're out in kind of a desert place. And so all the other women, all the other Samaritan women came to the well to get water in the early morning. They would carry these big pitchers, fill them up with water in the coolest part of the day and bring them home so they had their water for today. But this woman was there in the middle of the day. So though we don't know her story yet, at the onset, 
We do know, though, that she's there in the middle of the day because she is not able to be around everybody else. She's an outcast. There's something going on in her life. She's not flourishing. The women who are flourishing come to the well to get water in the morning with everybody else and they have community. This woman is coming to the well in the heat of the day when nobody else is there. She is not in a place where she's flourishing. She is hiding. But Jesus, right? I love this about our God, that Jesus sees this woman who's a Samaritan, who's an outcast, who's the uh, not educated, and he goes right to her and he sits down at the well to have a conversation with her. See, God sees us in the midst of our messes. God sees us even if we're not real important people. God sees us if other people don't think we're worthy. God sees us when we're not flourishing and he comes and he meets us at our place of deepest need, which is exactly what he does to this woman. And we are going to jump into the story. John chapter four, I'm going to start with verse four. Jesus had to go through Samaria on the way, and eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sichar, near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well around noontime. So I'm going to pause. Now you understand, that's just two little sentences, but now you understand the significance of all that's being said there. It is significant that it's noon. It's significant that he's by a Samaritan well, and it's significant he's about to talk to a woman. Two little sentences, but it's got huge meaning for us that we can take for today. Verse seven, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Can you hear her suspicion in her voice? Can you hear that she is fully aware that she is not somebody who would normally get acknowledged or talked to? So she's suspicious. Why is this guy here and why is he talking to me? Verse 10, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you'd ask me and I'd give you living water. Now, this response is so interesting because Jesus is being a little bit cryptic, but he switches here from the external to the internal, right? So he shows up and it's by the well and he starts in the circumstances. Hey, can you give me a drink? And then she responds and she says, why are you talking to me? And, and then he responds, but now he goes to the heart and he says, oh, I have a gift for you. And if you only knew who I was, you'd ask me for living water. So now he's offering her a gift, something she doesn't even know she needs yet. But he's offering to fill up her heart, right? He's offering living water to her, what her heart needs to flourish that she doesn't even know she needs yet. So Jesus makes a switch from the external need to the internal need. Let's see how the woman responds. Verse 11, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well's very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, <clears throat> excuse me, do you think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Now, this is kind of funny to me. She doesn't get it. It goes right over her head. She's still stuck 
in the external. She's thinking only about her circumstances, what's going on around her. She's still thinking literal water. I came here to get water so I can drink. This guy wanted a drink. Now he's offering me some kind of living water. How's he even going to get this water? He doesn't have a bucket. I mean, she is so lost in her circumstances. She doesn't see that Jesus is going after her heart. But Jesus is not deterred. In verse 13, he replies, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. See, Jesus says, I have what your heart needs. You're out here in the circumstances. You're getting water that quenches your thirst temporarily. I want to give you something that will satisfy your soul for eternity. I want to give you living water. And when it comes in you, it becomes a spring, a source. It never runs out. Think about those mountain streams that the little fresh, clear, crystal cold water that flows down the side of a mountain and it just never stops. It always comes out. It's always there as a source of water. Jesus is saying, I'm that. I want to come into relationship with you and become the source inside of you so that you don't have to be acting out here in the middle of the day, stuck in your circumstances, just surviving your pain and your hurt and being an outcast. I want to come in and give you living water that'll be a source and satisfy you always. He offers her this gift, her, this woman who nobody else would recognize or call worthy or talk to. And Jesus goes to her and says, I have a gift for you. I have what you don't even know you need because you're trying to solve all your problems in your circumstances by yourself. And I'm saying, I want to come in and be your power source that you will flourish regardless of your circumstances. And the woman in verse 15 Please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. (laughs) And she still doesn't quite get it. She's still so rooted into her circumstances that she doesn't understand that Jesus is now talking metaphorically and that he's offering her something that her heart really needs. And so she says, yeah, whatever I have to do to avoid my life, basically, let me do it. She still doesn't get it. And that's where we're going to pause today because I want to focus in on this idea of living water. What exactly is the living water? Well, if you flip to John chapter 7, just three chapters ahead, Jesus is speaking to the crowds and he says this in verse 38, anyone who believes in me may come and drink for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And when he said living water, he was speaking of the Holy Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. Living water comes from believing in Jesus. And when you believe in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the living God comes and lives inside your heart, becoming your source, your fresh water. That stream of living water will flow from your heart because the Holy Spirit The same spirit that helped create the earth, breathe life into creation, raise Jesus from the dead, that spirit comes into your heart and empowers you to flourish no matter what's going on in your life. And that 
is what Jesus is offering this woman, a relationship. When you believe in me, he's saying, when you will partner with me, my spirit will come into your heart and I will be your power source. I will be the strength that enables you to have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, right? We just did a series on that Holy Spirit. But Jesus is saying to this woman, despite what's going on around you, press in, come have a relationship with me and I will provide all that you need. So if we get living water by believing in Jesus, having a relationship with him, and then his water flows through us, how do we increase our belief? Well, that answer is also found in the book of John. I told you, I love me the book of John. But in John chapter one, John explains that when we see God's glory, then we are given the grace upon grace to believe, right? And so if we need belief, if the the deeper our roots of belief grow, the more living water we can access, then we need to increase belief. Well, John says we do that by seeing the glory of God. Friends, the best way to see the glory of God is to read that Bible that you got sitting on your nightstand, dust it off, pick it up, put it in your purse or in your car, and you carry it with you. It is the best way to see God's glory. And the good Lord for about a year has had me camped in a passage of scripture that I've read and kind of glossed over uh, for many years and not understanding the significance But I want to share it with you today because it will unfold the glory of God to you in a way that maybe has never been unfolded to you before. And I believe that when you see his glory, your belief is going to rise up in you and more living water is going to flow into your life. When you understand the incredible glory of the God of the universe who lives inside you, it is going to empower you in a way that it never has before. And so I'm going to flip in my Bible to Exodus chapter 33 and 34. We are getting into God's word today. I hope that you love it as much as I do, because it is the transformational power of God. His word is what is alive and active. It is what transforms our hearts and renews our minds. And so I believe the more we dig in and search the scriptures, the more belief, the more faith, the more living water will flow into our life. But in Exodus 33, it's the story of Moses. And I love Moses. He was asked by God to lead the people. And they're about to set out on this journey. And Moses says to God, show me your glory. Now, I pay attention in a new way because I've learned Hey, when we see the glory of God, our belief increases and that wreaks benefits in our life, right? We reap the benefits of seeing the glory of God. So Moses says to God, show me your glory. Moses must have known. He understood there's power in understanding God's glory. And God says to Moses in return, okay, I'll show you my goodness. I'll make my goodness pass in front of you. And I think this is so sweet because Moses asked to see the glory and God responds with, I'll show you my goodness. And see, that's just, that's our God. He doesn't flaunt his power, his might, or his sovereignty, or his his mighty hand of judgment. He says, I am good, and I am only good. I love that about God. There's no darkness. There's no evil. There's no bad in him. Our God is only good, and his spirit in us is only good. God only has good things in mind for us. He has no harm planned for us because he is the God of goodness. And so he says, I'm going to make my goodness pass in front of you, but nobody can see me and live. So Moses, I'm going to hide you by this rock and I'm going to put my hand over your face, cover your face, and I will tell you what my glory is. So to me, I think if God is going to say, this is what my glory looks like, we should pay attention. 
because the glory of God is a big subject, but this is one of the only places in scripture that God reveals his glory, that he says, this is who I am. There are so many other places in scripture where people name God and they say, oh, I have seen God. He's my provider. I have seen God. He's the healer. I have seen God. He's this. And we can count on those things because that is who our God is. But this is one of the only places in scripture where God tells us who he is. So this to me should be foundational. And if you want to know who your God is and see his glory, this is a passage you can camp out with. And I know that the Lord will show you great things. So he passes in front of Moses calling out, and now we're in Exodus 34, verse 6. Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger. I'm filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. And I just want to go over each of these a little bit because by doing so, you'll be able to see the magnificent glory of our God. He is Yahweh, the Lord, the only God. There is no other God like our God. There is nobody above him. There is not even anyone beside him. There is no one more powerful than him. He is sovereign. He is the Lord. If he says it, it will happen. He has all power and authority on our earth. He is the one true God, and he wants a relationship with you. Then he says he's the God of compassion. And I love this about our God because it means that he has empathy for us. He feels for us. And the word originally used there implies that he cares for us and comes down and has that caring attitude, but it's also an action. So he doesn't just feel bad for us, but he cares and takes care of us. He he nurtures us. He's like a nurse in that way. He is the God who feels for us and he sees us when we're struggling. He sees us when we fall short. He he sees us when we are going through dark seasons and he doesn't get mad at us. He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't mock us. He doesn't get frustrated that we're not pulling our own weight, but he draws near and he ministers to us and he loves us and he holds us close and he helps us keep going because he is the God of compassion. And then it says he's the God of mercy. And I love this because it means that he forgives us even though we don't deserve it. See, he shows his mercy. He shows his forgiveness to us in the midst of us screwing up again and again and again. And this is so comforting to me because I've made more mistakes than anybody listening to this show, I guarantee. But see, God doesn't ever say it's too much. He just continues to forgive us though we don't deserve it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. And we don't have to strive and earn things from God. He just showers mercy on us because of his goodness. And it's an incredible gift to us. It says he's slow to anger. That means he's patient. It takes him a long time to get mad at us. And I think that that's so amazing and powerful. And if you've ever been a parent, you kind of understand how difficult it is to stay patient with your children when they know exactly what buttons to push and they're bugging you for the 15th time today for another Pop-Tart or another something and, and or they're talking back or they're yelling at you or they're trying to do things their own way or they disobey outright and they sin. It's hard to be patient with your children and slow to anger. It's so much easier to just yell at them and discipline them and, and make them pay a consequence for what they've done. But God says he's slow to anger. He's patient with us. He gives us time to right our wrongs and to turn the ship around. And then it says that he's filled with unfailing love. And this is such a beautiful promise because if you are a human being and you have loved another human being, you know that love can fail. 
And if you've been around a long time, you've probably experienced a time in your life when love did fail and when somebody hurt you or let you down or when somebody gave up on you or walked away from you or decided you weren't worth loving anymore or love got hard or painful or love got less and and you have pain associated with love and it's hard to trust love because it has failed. So the amazing thing about our God is that his love never fails and he never gives up on us. And there's nothing, my friend, that you can do that will cause God to stop loving you or give up on you. His love will never fail you. It will always be there when you reach out for it. He will always be there to hold your hand and to pull you close. His love will not fail you. And then it says that he's faithful and this goes hand in hand and it speaks of his loyalty that he will not abandon you. He is by your side. There's nothing that you can do to lose his love. He will always do what he says he will do. His word will stand. You can trust him and you can trust everything you read in the word of God because it is true and he is faithful to it. And if he says it, he will do it. He will not let you down. He will not leave you alone. He will not abandon you. His word will never go void or fall short. Our God is faithful. And then it says that he lavishes unfailing love to a thousand generations, which I think is amazing. It just speaks of the blessing that he pours out over his people. And it says he forgives iniquity, rebellion, and sin. And I love this. It's so close to mercy, right? We get forgiven, though we don't deserve it. But this is... This is a little different in that the Lord forgives us even though we wrong him. When we sin, it is against the Lord. All sin is a sin against God. But the Bible says that God forgives us and then he forgets. It's as if it never happened. When we come into relationship with his son, Jesus, we are washed clean. He sees us as a new, perfect child before his eyes. What a gift. What an amazing gift because I... In a, I'm in a season where I'm learning to forgive people that have hurt me or sinned against me or wronged me, but boy, is forgetting even harder. And it just takes all my work and energy every day to choose those things. But the good Lord, in his great and vast love for us, he forgives our iniquity, rebellion, and sin, which means it is gone. It is forgotten. It is wiped clean. We are given a new blank slate every day with the Lord. His mercies, his forgiveness are new every morning. And what a beautiful beautiful act of love for us. And then finally, it says he does not excuse the guilty, but that just means that he is the God of justice and that someday he will sit on the throne. He sits on the throne now. And the Bible says righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne and all that is wrong will be made right. And we can rest assured in a fallen world where it feels like evil prospers and the bad guys are winning and those who are wronging us never have to get caught or pay for what they've done to us. But you can rest assured, my friends, that the Lord is on his throne and he is just and all those wrongs will be made right because vengeance is his. And we don't have to worry because the Lord sees it all and he will make everyone pay. There will be a day of atonement and the good Lord will enact justice. And we can trust that in the end, nothing that is evil will be allowed to overcome. Nothing that is tried to form against us will be allowed to prosper because God is just and goodness will prevail and we will be in heaven with him. 
Isn't that amazing? That's our God. That is the spirit that comes in us. That is the love of the Father we can expect so that when the circumstances around us are dry and we are like in a desert, God is enough for us. His glory is is all that we need. And I want you to just picture now yourself in a desert. And it is dry and there's sand and it's windy. So the sand is blowing everywhere around you. And it's in your hair and it's on your face and it's probably in your mouth. Blah, 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 right? And you're thirsty and the hot sun is beating down on you and you're sweaty and you would give anything for a drink of water. Maybe your life feels like that right now. You'd give anything for a reprieve from your current situations. And then you start walking and in the distance you see this mirage and something's flickering and you wonder, am I really seeing that? And you get closer and you look and you see a pool of water and it is crystal blue. And there are birds flying overhead and there are palm trees growing up around its banks. And there's animals drinking from the water and fish swimming in the water. And it is beautiful. And life is growing everywhere, though it's in the middle of the desert. Friends, when when you have a relationship with Jesus and his Holy Spirit's in your heart, he's that oasis for us. Though we are in the desert, he supplies all that we need for life and growth and for fruit, no matter what is happening. And if we will press into his glory, if we will study who he is, he will show up and provide that living water that we need. Our belief will grow. So I would just encourage you, if you are thirsty in this season, If you need some of that living water that Jesus offered to satisfy your soul, to become a source within you, I would encourage you to press into Exodus 34. You know, it's amazing. Google has a lot of bad things, but the good thing about Google is it can help you find Bible verses really fast. And if you Google the compassion of the Lord or verses about the compassion of God, you will get a whole bunch of verses that you can read and you can claim as your own living water. You can post them on your mirrors or put them in your car. You can Google the mercy of God. Show me verses with God's mercy in it or show me God's unfailing love verses. And Google will give you the whole entire list and then you can go in and you can read those verses and you can claim them as your own because it is your source. That is the power within you. If you need a little bit of compassion, if you need some mercy, if you need unfailing love, if you need forgiveness, if you need whatever you need, you can press into your heavenly father. Look for his glory. And in return, when you see his glory in those pages of that that blessed Bible that you have, then that living water will flow into your life. So I'd encourage you to do that. And as we wrap up the show, you know, I like to keep it practical. So I just want to, here are four quick things that you can do to press in. And the first one to get living water is to pray and ask for it. I feel like that's my number one every time, but like, really, that's the answer. If you want to know what you need to do, the first thing you should always just do is pray about it. So pray and ask the Lord specifically for living water. Ask him to reveal his glory to you. Ask him for streams of living water to pour out of your life. And because he is faithful, he will do it. Number two, pick one of those names that I just read out of Exodus 34 and study it. Google it. Write down those verses. Claim them as your own. Press into the glory. Number three, do a heart check. And if you have a few minutes to just sit with the Lord quietly and listen and just ask him, God, where do my roots grow down deep? Are my roots in my circumstances? 
or are they in you? God, show me where I need to pull up my roots. Show me where I have them in my circumstances and then help me plant them in your living water instead. And then finally, for community, we cannot do the faith journey alone. The best example I can think of this, and I heard it from my pastor at Emmanuel Christian Center, Pastor Nate Roosh, he talks about the redwood trees, the forests in California, how beautiful and majestic they are. And those redwood trees, I got to see them last year when I traveled out to see my beautiful daughter in San Francisco. But these trees go hundreds of feet in the air, and they're so big, they're so beautiful, and they grow so close together. And they withstand all of the weather out there in they're just amazing. But the cool thing about the redwood trees is that their roots, though they're, the tree is hundreds of feet tall, the roots only go six to 10 feet in the ground, but they go hundreds of feet sideways. And they entangle with all the other roots of the other trees. And when the storms and the winds come, the trees of the other roots hold them in the ground. And friends, we are like that as believers. We need to entangle our roots with those like-minded people around us who, when the storms of life come, will hold our roots in the ground and say, no, we are going to believe. We are going to press into the goodness of God. I've got you. I will stand in the gap for you. You are not doing this alone. And our roots hold each other into the living water. Isn't that beautiful? And I've experienced that so much in the last four months as this has been one of the biggest storms that I've been through and has threatened to pull me out of the ground and uproot me. But I have amazing people around me who are willing to believe for me and pray for me and keep holding my hand and keep walking the journey. And they are holding my roots in the ground as I walk through this season of storms. So this is what I would recommend. Pray, pick a name and study it, do a heart check, get yourself some community and just watch The living water will begin to flow into your life and you will be able to flourish. You'll be able to produce fruit no matter what your circumstances are going on around you. And friends, it's been an honor to share time with you today. I hope this has inspired you. Every time I read that passage in Exodus 34, I feel like I can go conquer the world. And I hope that's how you feel with God on your side. But next time, tune in and listen to us as we dive into part two, getting rid of those nasty weeds in our heart that threaten to steal, kill, and destroy our abundant life. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for your great goodness that you are Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness, that you lavish your love on a thousand generations, that you forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but you do not excuse the guilty. Thank you for your justice, Lord. I just ask now, as we go about our weeks and our days, would you send your Holy Spirit to be living water in our life? Would you pour out your power on us, become a source within us that we might flourish no matter what's going on? And Lord, I just want to pray for the listener right now who's hearing this and is desperate. Maybe they're the desert and they need an oasis. And Lord, I just ask that you would draw near, that you would meet them at the well like you met the Samaritan woman and that you would draw near and that you would offer living water and that you would be the source, that you would provide all they need in order that they would be able to continue the journey. Lord, let our roots grow down deep into your water. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Mint, the podcast equipping you to run the race of faith well. More resources are available at my website and the link is in the show notes. We'd be so grateful if you'd leave us a like or a five-star review. Let's do this faith journey together.